JK Rowling. JK, we are JK Rowling up in here. Coincidentally, we are also gay. Have you heard about that? Do you not even know what I'm talking about? Oh, wait, JK Rowling is gay, right? Oh, wait, no way. <laughs> no. No, wait. Well, I all don't of her know, characters but... are. No, all of her characters are Dumbledore and. You're going to have to fill me in on this. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I knew. Well, the so basically, people, some people, probably the people with too much time on their hands, got kind of mad because they started to interview J.K. Rowling and she just sort of like started to retcon everyone's sexuality. So then all of a sudden, like, everyone was like bi or or gay or like mm. i maybe i don't think she said anybody was transsexual but it was that kind of thing okay. all of a sudden somebody like had this very right and she didn't say anything about it in the books she just decided like after the fact like oh by the way yeah she kind of just like <laughs> retconned it in there and everybody's like eh, really like do all these <laughs> characters need to have <laughs> You know, a, a sexual backstory that's just unspoken. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, I know that that was my joke. About any of these? Okay, <laughs> that went over well. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, welcome back, you guys. <laughs> there it is. There's <laughs> the real intro. <laughs> we like to record a couple intros just uh, so we can have a uh, few to pick from. Yeah, see where it really. Where it really picks up for us. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, all right, man. So uh, here, what episode is this? This is episode eighteen. Damn, that's crazy, man. Yep. We could. This podcast could go off and fight in a war now. Yeah, yeah. It's old enough to you know, buy condoms. Yeah. Le- well. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a bad example. Bad example. Um. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Eighteen. Long time. Felt like we're running out of things to talk about. Most definitely. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> so we were both thinking it. It's like, right. yeah, we've never been strong at these intros, and we probably never will be because borderline don't have much of a episode for the rest of this. So yeah, exactly. I don't know if we... Oh, here's something. Last week we asked you guys to send in some listener mail, and did nobody we get some? Did. No, nobody. Nobody sent anything. So yeah, th- <laughs> that episode's not out yet. <laughs> that's, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> At the time of recording this episode, that episode is not out. That's yet. fair. That's fair. You're right. Forgot about that. All right. Well, that's why we haven't got any mail. I'm yeah. too far into the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you're listening sh- to this now, send us some mail. We need something to talk about on here. Yeah, send us send us two things of mail now. Yeah, I please. think we need to. I think yeah, we might need to hit the old uh, social media that's been dead for a little bit. Might need to hit on. Yeah, we haven't posted on there in a while. Yeah, it's like, well, I liked it, but it it really seems like we kind of edged out, like, who's going to be listening to this frequently. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we kind of have our people. So, But no, I think we could hit that up, try and get some people in, because I think that would add a little bit of a dynamic. You know, we've recorded so many episodes not knowing who would listen to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't think we expected much audience participation, but people want to. So I think we're going to really try to implement that and keep it happening. Absolutely. Yep. For sure. Hit us up. All right. Uh, you want to get into a lightning round? Yeah, man. Let's do it. All right. Lightning round. (laughs) You don't need the soundboard. I'll just do everything. Oh, thank you. Good. Good. Thank you for that. All right. Eli, do you have a favorite drinking game? Um, I don't really do drinking games. You just do uh, games while you're drinking. 
the the drinking game that I do is drinking. That's the game within itself. So yeah. how how much can you drink? <laughs> um, how quickly can you drink it? You mm-hmm. know, all those classics. Yeah, no, drinking in itself is a good time. So you don't need to, you know, church it up by throwing a competition <laughs> into the mix. Like drinking. You is are the, the whitest <laughs> person to say church it up, and I just I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> Though I thank you. Thank you. I I like it, though. I like it. <laughs> it's um, also, if you're going to make fun of me for the words I say, can we talk about for a second that I've been saying the word jazzed so much now. Like, I'll just catch me. myself saying it works. It's like, that's Eli. Yeah. I've, been, I've been hanging around Eli too much. Well, I used to say psyched. That was my thing. But ah. now I say jazzed yeah. <laughs> instead of psyched, uh, which I think is a good uh, good direction. Yeah, it's that jive talk. I mean, I guess I can't give you too much shit. I talk like Huggy Bear and Starsky and Hutch. So. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> okay, so you do not have a favorite drinking game? I don't know if I do. If I had to pick one, um, I think... So Battle Shots is fun. Battle Shots is great. Uh, I have almost always blacked out every single time I've played it. I do like playing Kings. I think Kings is a fun party game. Yeah, Kings is a good one, yeah. So, especially with people who don't know each other, um, mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty good, like, social game. Yeah, it's good get to know you. Yeah, don't like playing spoons, don't like playing quarters. I don't like ones that involve physicality. Okay, so, like, beer pong? Yeah, I, uh, I don't mind playing beer pong, but it, I don't, I don't enjoy it. And everybody's got all those fucking house <laughs> rules, and they're all like, you know... No, you know, no whoops a daisies or whirly dervishes, right? And it's like, exactly, yeah. Right? What the fuck is this game, man? It just it's a simple premise. You're you're churching it up too much. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. You got to bring it down. Uh, bitch cup, or AKA known as uh, slap cup. Mm-hmm. That's, That's a good a, one. That one's dope. I like that one better than beer pong. I do. I do too. I do too. It, it is a good game to fuck with people, and it's and it's fun. It's a little bit physical, mm-hmm. um, but not too physical. So, yeah. I mean, those are the ones I like to play. I don't know yeah. if any of them are my favorite. I like Kings because I don't want to do anything. I just sit down. Yeah. No, that's yeah. I like that a lot. My favorite drinking game I learned not too long ago is called Four Corners. Have you ever played that? Like with the kickball? No. <laughs> that is Four Square. Uh, oh. <laughs> the children's game. Well... <laughs> Four corners is you play it on a beer pong table, and there's four people, and every set, everybody sets a beer at each corner of the table. And the reason I like this one compared to other drinking games is because, like, you know, like, for example, like Kings or beer pong, like, the point is, like, if you beat your opponent, they have to drink. Whereas the reason I like four corners is the first team to finish their beer wins. <laughs> the the right. winner, like, drinking is the point. So that's what you're supposed to do. So right. four corners is when you take a ping pong ball, throw it at the other team's beer can and when it hits and ricochets off across the room they like your team gets to chug that beer as for as long as it takes the other team to grab the beer pong ball or the ping pong ball and grab it and touch the table again and then you keep going back and forth until one team finishes their beer oh we played this did we do it okay yeah it's a great game now but the winner is who finishes their beer Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, because the challenge is being drunk and then still trying to find a ping pong ball <laughs> and run around and <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's how I broke that glass. I was actually just gonna say that. I remember you breaking that glass, and I couldn't remember what game it was, what game we were playing. But yeah, 
<laughs> I think it was that. So. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Uh, okay. What is the worst video game you've ever played? <laughs> um. So there's two. There's two video games that exist that are usually regarded as the two worst video games ever made. Mm-hmm. One of them is E.T. for the Atari. Oh, yeah. Have you ever played that? No. I, uh, I don't remember. I thought, I thought that was the one that like got destroyed, basically, before it was even released. Oh, no, it released. Oh, shit, okay. They just took the rest of them and then put them oh, in that landfill. That's which they, what it was. Yeah, yeah, which they really did, because up to yeah, that no, point, I heard that. Really, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's that one, which I don't remember if I played, but I did play the second most hated game ever made, and that is Superman for the Nintendo 64. Okay. So when I inherited an old N64 and got to play some classics like Ocarina of Time and all this stuff, you know, great N64 games, and then there was a Superman game, and actually Aaron was over. He came over. Playing all these N64 games, like, I'm going to try this Superman game. He puts this game in. and Because I didn't know about it at the time. Neither one of us did. And he mm-hmm. starts playing this game, and it is the shittiest, worst control. We were rolling. It was so bad, dude. It's like you're trying to fly, and like it just doesn't work. I have never <laughs> seen a game released to the public that just didn't work. Hmm. Yeah. So that's probably the truly worst game I've ever played. There's like newer games I could point to and be like, that game's really bad. Um, mm-hmm. But that game was like one of the last games I ever played that I was like, this is not fair to charge yeah. people money for. <laughs> what about games that are that are decent games but just have really dumb premises? Uh, like, the reason I wanted to ask is because one of my friends was telling me about this game today that he played uh, called I Am Bread. Oh, okay. I've Have heard, you heard of about this, this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's about a dude that like comes home and his house got like broken into or something and he thinks it's like the bread that got sentient. So now he just doesn't trust bread all of a sudden. But then he's like seeing a therapist. But from the game, you play in the perspective of a piece of bread and you're, it's basically just like Skyrim, but you're a piece of bread. You're just walking around this kitchen and it's really dumb. <laughs> but like, but that's not a bad game though. I mean, I can't imagine. I watched some playthroughs of it, uh-huh. and I would not enjoy it at all. <laughs> well, the idea is just so stupid that it's like, why would anyone do this? I'm trying to think of the last game that I played. I don't play many of those games. I just kind of experience them. A mm-hmm. lot of those games are on PC. Mm-hmm. Um, See, a lot of the games that I've played recently that were bad were just like, this game looks really cool, and then you pick it up and you play it, and you're like, man, this isn't that good. It was kind of shitty, which is really a letdown, especially if you spend money on it. Right, right. Um, Yeah, I can't really think of any. Monumentally, Superman 64 (laughs) is the worst game I've ever played. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, sounds like it. Um, I would love to play that someday. It is fun to watch because it is fucking god awful. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That was all I had for you. All right, Mitch. Uh, Question one Do you have like a favorite crime show? First off, do you like crime shows? If you do, what is your favorite? 
I do like crime shows. I like both crime shows that are fiction, but I also do like crime shows that are like kind of reality. I got really into uh, that Making a Murderer show. That was pretty awesome. Because mm. uh, I like the story and the idea that the government can just like plant uh, basically false evidence and get away with it. But also what I really liked about that show is that family is so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> it is just so entertaining to watch. Um, so that one was awesome. Uh, but as far as, uh, like, do crime shows like CSI, that kind of shit? Uh, you could, I was thinking more of the reality-based ones, like like okay. real actual crime shows. Um, but, I mean, do you like CSI? Is that... Is I, that... Nah, I don't. I never really oh, got really? into, like, CSI. No, I'm not too much of a big fan of that. Just because I feel like a lot of those shows, like CSI, um, even show like, the Law & Order... I'll say it house like all of those shows follow the same formula whereas like up oh, with the whole episode we're gonna tr- make try to make you think it's this person that did it and then boom tw- 10 minutes left in the episode we're gonna introduce this other person we fooled you it was this guy boom but then like every single episode's like that so it just kind of got old after a while yeah, I did kind of realize that with Law and Order, or it's the opposite, where it's just like, oh, we, it's not this guy, and then in the end, it's like, oh, it was that guy that we initially thought it was. And I'm yeah, just like, yeah, exactly. Well, what the yeah. fuck? Right, like <laughs> this was some shady I, ass detective work, if you ask me. And I me. get it. <laughs> it really was, man. It's irresponsible, is what it is. It's reckless. <laughs> and I, I get it. There, that show has been on the air for so long. You gotta kind of follow a script or you know run out of ideas at some point but people tune in for a reason to see a certain thing so you can't really like play with that formula too much you know (laughs) um my favorite is probably forensic files Ah, i've never seen forensic files it is incredible it is amazing (laughs) like i mean it's super outdated because it mainly ran, I think, in the early 90s, even to the early 2000s, but they wow. just put no budget into that fucking show at all, because mm. they didn't need to. It was just great. It, it's just that that side of crime was super interesting, as how they actually use forensic to catch people. For example, uh, there is a guy who works for the police somewhere, I don't remember where, that dude literally collects beads that's all he does beads you say beads and glitter hmm. that's all he does he collects them catalogs them so that way when they're like hey man we got this glitter can you figure out where this glitter comes from and he just like looks at it under a microscope and just like clicks away on his computer and he's like oh yeah there you go and they caught a murderer that way i just have so many questions what makes you want to get into that line of work? Just being just like, <laughs> right. fa- it sounds fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and that's, yeah, that's like the greatest part. I assume this guy was just some sort of like researcher or something. He was, a, no, he was a, like a, a scientist. Hmm. He worked in forensics and then he just specialized in tiny shit <laughs> like glitter and beads. Yeah, okay. And then there was a case where they needed him to solve a murder that way and he did. 
All right. Well, good on him. He found his niche. I, I get it. Just it, but it was fascinating to me to to see that. So I definitely, yeah. I definitely really like Forensic yeah. Files. I really liked another that another show that was on Netflix a while back. It was about I can't remember what it's called. It was called Evil Genius. It was about the pizza bomber. Mm. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Dude, that was so good. I'll tell you another reason why I liked it so much. One dude I work with knew lived in that part of town at that time, and he knew the guy that they're pretty sure did it. He was a substitute teacher at his high school. So he was telling me all about this and I was like keeping up with it on the Netflix and he was like telling me, oh yeah, that guy, yeah, that's totally true. This is exactly what happened. This guy was creepy. Like, what? (laughs) That is crazy. So crazy, man. insane. I remember me and my girlfriend were watching that and and I remember that. I remember it happening or I at least remember like a crime documentary show. Mm -hmm. It, It was probably fucking Forensic Files. That I watched, and they talked about that. So when we started watching it, I was like, oh, I remember this camera footage. Like, I know what this is. And then the bomb went off, and we, I, I literally was just like, what the fuck? Like, I did right? not expect them to show it. Yeah, that was so fucking crazy. And man. I was like, well, bully to you, I guess. <laughs> I mean, here we go. I'm going to watch the rest of this. All right, exactly. All right, jeez. Which is a little <laughs> fucked up, but anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um uh do you like family guy no so <laughs> question three <laughs> so do you do you hate family guy or do you just not like it i don't hate it i just don't like it i i don't think i've seen i've seen episodes and i know what it's all about but i just don't think it's that funny i there's very few like adult cartoons that i actually enjoy yeah i've heard that from a few people i don't i don't really vibe i don't really understand that like a lot i really really like like do you like south park no i don't like south park wow okay i wasn't allowed to watch south park as a kid well neither (laughs) was i i went through this like rebellious phase when i was like 16 17 i would go over to my cousin's house and they would be watching it and be like oh this is awesome and then after i actually realized like oh this actually isn't that good so i'm gonna continue to not watch that uh well let me put it to you this way i feel that south park is one of the last remnants of true actual satire so i I think that they do satire immensely well and i think they're great also their video games are really good by the way Mm -hmm. didn't think they would be they're actually incredible okay um family guy seems Family Guys has really good bits, but it's so inconsistent as a show that one bit is hilarious and really a good idea, and the next bit is dumb as fuck. Right. <laughs> and then and then also it gets tiring, right? Like, how many old 80s references can you make before it starts to become not funny? Right, right. You know, it's like, hey, do you remember Pogs? That's my Peter Griffin. <laughs> um and it's just and like, now, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Conway Twitty. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I will say that I hate that fucking Conway Twitty bit. I don't like <laughs> it. Conway Twitty is an institution. All right. 
like stop including him in your shitty comedy <laughs> no i uh, that's so funny because that's the one bit on family guy that i actually enjoy because i like their ability to stick to a joke until it's not funny anymore <sighs> yeah and then it becomes true. fucking hilarious uh, that's one of my favorite things like that scene from uh I think like uh, maybe like Black Sheep or something when Chris Farley's fallen down. It's also in Hot Rod. Hot Rod does it. When Andy Samberg falls down the hill for like way too long to the point where it stops being funny. And then they do it for about 30 more seconds. And then it's funny again. Yeah. 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 I guess that's fair. Well, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why I thought of Family Guy. I don't think we... You haven't ever seemed to like that kind of humor. So I guess that vibes. That's why I wanted to ask you. not really. Yeah. That's why I wanted to ask you. Okay, so my last question is, I've asked you before what your favorite curse word is, but now I'm curious, what's your favorite word? Like, I have a few favorite words that I like to, and the, and there's no other reason other than I literally just like to say the word. I mean, I used to say psyched a lot, but now I say jazz. <laughs> we talked about that. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, you filled me in there. Well, like, let me give you some. So, like, some of my yeah, favorite words do. are, like, are, like, viscous. Oh, gross. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> fucking ew bro uh i really like viscous um sepulcher i, I really, don't even know what that means i i'm to be honest with you i'm not 100 percent sure i believe it's like an altar or like a church hmm okay uh it is a religious Take a term. word for it um like reprieve words like that i think i just like to say words that are like words that a person like me shouldn't be saying uh and by that i mean like remember like when hella was a thing hella yeah i still say hella i still say hella too. <laughs> i say say i say hella i say dope uh i say gnarly that's some of my my favorite my favorite words to say are words that were popular like slaying in california in the 90s <laughs> that's funny i also say uh chicky chicky narnar so. Chicky chicky nar nar, right on. Um, every time I look, every time I go longboarding with my friends, I say shred the nar, bro. <laughs> I would punch the shit out of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's it. Every time I go longboarding with my friends, you <laughs> some okay. Well, I, so I did remember my favorite word. I forgot it is why I was stumbling. My favorite word is behoove. Ooh, that's a good one. And the reason being is because you can, and that's what I like about language, right? You could say two things that mean the same, but they don't mean the same. So, for example, if I said, you know, Mitch, it's in your best interest to get this done, is a lot different than me saying, Mitch, it would behoove you to not make me wait on this. <laughs> that second one sounded intimidating. Yes. So two yeah. very different ways. But first off, I love the word because you can put mm-hmm. so much emphasis on it. And I use it at work all the time <laughs> because it just works. It's just like it, it's just I feel like if you tell somebody like, you know, it would you know, I need you to get this done or, you know, like I really need you to get this done. It would just it just being able to, to look at it and be like, it would behoove you to make <laughs> sure this is done. Just seems more impactful to me yeah no that's uh that's good management style right there just say buzzwords synergy <laughs> god damn it you've ruined my point <laughs> son of a bitch 
Oh, All right. right. That's well, dope. that was the lightning round. I just said that's dope under my breath. <laughs> that's dope. That's hella dope, dude. Hella dope. Hella nar-nar. We should start doing that whispering into the mic because we, <laughs> right. we can't hear each other right. if we whisper. Um, all right. Well, that was a lightning round. Do you want to take a reprieve? And ooh, look, I worked one in. Uh, do you? <laughs> yeah, wanna... I think it would behoove us to take a break and uh... save everything. <laughs> save everything. Yeah. All right, Eli. Favorite part of the podcast. You go first this time. What you drinking? All right, I am drinking. <laughs> Actually, I had a bit. Uh, I'm drinking Southern Comfort. <laughs> what really no i just got this on deck for a little oh, bit okay. extra okay good call um, good call also i don't like southern comfort I'm you don't like big, southern comfort no i don't like anything uh i think it tastes like cough syrup you're probably I, not wrong <laughs> and i like whiskey but that is very cheap very weird tasting this it's almost like is a plastic bottle. Yep, yep, thought so. Thought so. so. Uh, no, <laughs> what I'm actually good. drinking uh, for this segment is it's not, it, it's interesting because I haven't drank a beer like this, maybe besides Guinness, because not a whole lot to say except about how much I love it. But this one is an interesting one. I am drinking Killian's. Ooh, good choice. I do so like I did, a good Killian's. Yeah, I, did, I, I decided to get something not crazy. And I was like, you know what? This is, to me, a good beer. And I really, really, really like it. Uh, and it doesn't taste like ass. And that was my main goal. It also <laughs> is cheap. What? So here's the thing. Coors makes Killian's. Really? Yeah. It's all. It's like it's all owned by the same conglomerate? Yeah, it's it's owned by Coors. Mm. But the thing is, though, and I because I was kind of reading some of the... Bo- I mean, there's no... To, it's fucking Killian's. There's no description. There's mm-hmm. nothing. There's no fun thing to read. But <laughs> I believe it was made by like another company, like a smaller company, and Coors bought the license to okay. make it. Mm-hmm. So I assume they brew it somehow close. Because here's the thing I like about Killian's: when you drink Killian's, I mean it's a dark, like amber mm-hmm. color, mm-hmm. and a very dark beer. But when you drink it, it has like an oaky. It's a very strong, kind of rustic kind of beer. It's a, it's rustic. It's a, it's a good solid beer. Okay, okay. And that's why I like Killian's. And I okay. think it's 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 even more potent and and stronger than like Yingling. Even mm-hmm. I think okay. this makes Yingling look kind of weak, which is why I like it. Sure. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a good choice. Good choice. I have a. I also kind of decided not to go too crazy this time. Uh, I didn't want to go with the IPA again, and uh, but there is a beer that I have been into lately <coughs> by uh, Upland Brewing in uh, Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, it's called Champagne Velvet, and uh, what I like about it is it's basically it's made by a craft beer company. Upland Brewing makes high-end craft beer, but it's basically their take on just like this, the recipe for like Miller Lite. Coors Light. So it's basically like this high-end brewery was like, let's just make a beer for the people. So a nice beer that's... And the cool thing about it is, too, is like it's not super pretentious or expensive. It's about the same price as like Miller Light. It's like I, I got a 12-pack for like 12 bucks, I think, 12, 13 bucks. So 
it's the same price. Um, so it is a Pilsner, so it's not going to be anything like too crazy, uh, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't have a whole lot of like alcohol content or anything, but, uh, yeah. So basically what it is, is in 1902, Walter Brune, the son of German immigrants, created a recipe for a new Pilsner beer named Champagne Velvet. Over the next 50 years, it grew to become one of Indiana's most popular beers, a go-to for many of our grandparents and great-grandparents. It was the beer with the million-dollar flavor, which wasn't just marketing fluff. It was actually insured with a $1 million policy. Industrial consolidation <laughs> took down this regional favorite and the recipe went missing for many years until a fan rescued the handwritten recipe from deep in a trademarked portfolio. Horseshit. <laughs> I know, right? I don't think I believe any of this. Upland reformulated the recipe using that scrap of paper and proudly brings this Midwestern legend back to life. <laughs> It's got a light pilsner body with some sweet complexities given off by the corn malt used in this recipe. But uh, no, I do like it because it is, it's basically if you picture a Miller Lite, but bring the flavors a little bit more forward, like it's that. So, um, well, I think it's interesting because basically it's a, it's like you said, it's a high end brewery being like, let's make a party beer. Like, yeah, let's <laughs> make a good, just solid beer, no fluff. Uh, no buffs, no coconuts, which exactly. I'm going to say that forever because <laughs> I don't know what the actual saying is. Um, so that's interesting. I think that story is bullshit. There's no I think so too. Way. There's no <laughs> way. It just like the hand. It just says like brew. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and they're like, ah, oh. yes. I'm glad we wrote that down. I would have been lost forever. Right. Um, no, it's interesting. So I mean, yes. Yeah, so I I think it's nice to take a break. From crazy beer every now and then. Yeah. Sometimes you just need a break. Is there anything distinguishing about it? Um, no, I mean, no, it's, uh, it is, like I said, it, it is a little bit more flavor forward than just your typical light beer. Like, and by that I mean the cool, like the good, you know, hops and barley flavor. Like, it feels like, you know, Bud Light, if it weren't, like, Bud Light is way more watered down, like, for any, so this. So, yeah. I, it's this tastes like you're drinking something, but it's also not, you know, anything. It's not a crazy taste that you've never tasted before. So this is probably one of my favorite cheap beers right now. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good marketing tool because if they made it expensive, nobody would buy it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so <laughs> yeah, they knew how to do that. So, all right. A couple chill beers, kind of interesting, interesting things you could probably find pretty easily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. So, all right, let's get to the what you thinking. Eli, I have kind of an idea here that I want to nerd out with you for a little bit here. Um, we talk about music a lot on this podcast. We do. And I thought about taking a break from that. <laughs> and then I and then I thought, no, fuck it, let's do it. Let's go all in. Um, this one's going to be really uh, kind of music heavy, so if you're not into that, skip it and fuck off uh but i want to ask you i've always kind of wondered what are your top five favorite albums of all time and i didn't give you any time to prepare again (laughs) right (laughs) like i did me long (laughs) silence i had Um, all day to prepare so uh i could i i could probably get close okay to to figuring it out so um so starting out 
in, in no particular order. So don't feel like you have to, you know, think yeah. ahead and make yeah. a list. I, yeah, I won't be able to do them in order. So I'll just do five that I think have to be up there somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I do think that I'm just getting it out of the way. There has to be a Pink Floyd album in there. I was kind of assuming there would be. Yeah. So the the band that I, I would have to say that there has to be a Pink Floyd album in there. Uh, I don't know what album. It's hard because, like, I think I I could probably be quoted as uh, giving some shit to Darkseid um, just because I don't think it's Pink Floyd's best album. However, Dark Side of the Moon was an album that absolutely changed, like, my outlook on music. And it's just because, like, and they and they wrote and performed Dark Side of the Mood leading up to and after, usually as a um, as a as as one piece. So to me, it's the structure for how you make an album. Mm-hmm. That album is, uh, you 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 could split the songs up, but you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to me, that's just like a a musical marvel. Because mm-hmm. uh, people don't really, even even rock bands don't really make albums like that mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, they just kind of uh, pick out uh, what what I like. It what I will give Pink Floyd is that album is very cohesive. It's a full thought. Whereas I feel like most of the bands nowadays, their their mo is to just like write thirty songs that they like that don't really have a whole lot in common and then they right. pare that down to like 10 the best 10 and then they put those on an album whereas i feel like pink floyd sat down to write dark side exactly exactly um and i think that yeah exactly like you said i think a lot of i think a lot of bands like they'll they'll have a hit and then they'll kind of mm-hmm. have filler Same songs mm-hmm. and you'll kind of hear those shittier songs that you didn't really buy the <laughs> album for and they're right. not even good <laughs> yeah exactly so that's a little bit more of the music industry um so that's that's one i have to include it would definitely be but like and trust me i'm not gonna get into it but like animals i think is like more cohesive and more of a concept and then also the wall is i think one of the greatest albums ever made so i don't know which pink floyd album i would pick let me put it that way also wish you here is a little bit underrated so all in all i don't know what album i would pick but definitely from that the the big four of pink floyd being dark side of the moon wish you were here animals in the wall one of those would definitely be in there so I think the next album would be uh, probably Foo Fighters, Echo, Silence, Patience, and Grace. Okay, good, good answer. So that album was a Foo Fighter album where they decide to take all their um, heavy rock electric parts to their album and then incorporate that with some of their acoustic songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the album they did before that was In Your Honor, which was, it had one side, well, it was one full electric rock album and then one full soft acoustic album. Mm-hmm. So when they toured that, uh, they got feedback, I think, from, like, Bob Dylan or somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because they, they opened up for Bob Dylan uh, in a really short, like, three or four show thing. Had no idea. Yeah, That's doing awesome. yeah, doing their acoustic shit. Because Dave Grohl has this really good story where he met Bob Dylan, and the way he met him 
was they were like <laughs> they were like yeah just go down the hall bob dylan's down there and it's like that scene in a goodfellas where he's you know it's like yeah he's just right down there like he go, he meets bob dylan and he's like hey man can you can you teach me how to play everlong and dave what? rolls just yeah dave rolls just like Nah, like, <laughs> no, like you have too many. Don't take our shitty song. Like play your own shit. Don't take my song and play it better. Right? Uh, That's hilarious. But I, they got advice to incorporate that into one show. So essentially, that's what they did. They they basically said we're going to make this album and it's going to have all these rock songs and we're going to have all these like acoustic songs. It, it's going to have peaks and valleys, kind of a thing. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. So I actually but but when Echoes came out, it came out around the time of when I was about 17 or 18, I don't really remember, but it was around the time that one of my friends had passed away. Mm-hmm. So when I heard Echoes, it to me turned into this weird concept album about loss and how you deal with loss. There's like the first the t- the first song on it is the Pretender, which is this very big, uh, you know, sort of braggadocious song, kind of a rebellious song, and then it goes right into the second song, which is Let It Die, mm-hmm. and the the chorus of that one of the main lines is Why'd you have to go and let it die, and it's a and it's about loss, and then the third song is a race replace, and it's about like not wanting to talk about certain things in life and it just kind of continues forth it just for me and i know it just kind of exists contextually but for me it turned into this weird concept album about loss yeah and how to no, deal I can with imagine. loss yeah no kidding yeah so that song or, or that album uh has always had a really big profound impact on me and um no i like that i feel like so my top five i feel like most of them are not going to be like these legendary albums that uh you know like floyd i don't like zeppelin i don't have anything like cool on there because my top five favorite albums of all time are albums that pretty much from like my high school days that meant a lot to me and kind of shaped the way i viewed music and also the way I kind of grew up. So, like, um, I'll tell you, like, one of my top five is Weezer's Blue Album. Not because it's an amazing album, but because to me, like, at the time it came out, like, I hadn't heard anything like that before. Um, well, actually, right. I shouldn't say at the time it came out because I was three when it came out. Oh, right. Uh, I guess by I should say, but <laughs> by the time I discovered Weezer, I. I hadn't heard anything like that. And it really like before that I had only listened to like country music. Cause that's what everybody, you know, had listened to where I was from. And I was like, shit, there's something out there besides country. And then it got me, you know, to dig a little bit deeper into like, you know, grunge and rock and alt rock and, you know, like nineties stuff. So that's, I mean, the blue album is for me is kind of what started it all. So it's almost kind of like a, you know, nostalgia mixed with like, I owe a lot to that. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how echoes is for me. Like, you know, is it like this legendary album? Like not at all, Mm -hmm. but that album played a very important role at that time in my life. Right. Yeah. So, okay, so that's two of mine. Uh, Numero Trace is going to be Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly. 
Good answer. Good answer. So to pimp a butterfly has to be up there because I didn't I when I was young I listened to like Public Enemy. Like that's what I knew of like rap and hip hop. Mm-hmm. And I only knew Public Enemy because of rock musicians that like Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. Um so I didn't have a whole lot of content. And if you listen to Public Enemy, they are like the fucking Metallica of rap. Because <laughs> so, it's not like it's not fucking chill at all. Right, right. So I didn't have a whole lot of context for it. So when I did finally start to like dwell a little bit deeper and like actually try to like... I remember I had an app at one point, like I think right when I started college, that it was it was literally just an app that would filter everyone's mixtapes through. So like it, it was kind of like a SoundCloud, but it wasn't as popular. So I was just listening to all these random ass dudes mis- mixtapes. Dang. <laughs> that is so hipster. <laughs> right. So like when I finally started getting into that, like that kind of woke me up to being like, you know, there is some really cool stuff here. Like, yes, there's a mainstream in this genre. However, mm-hmm. there's all these like offshoots of all these people that I'm probably never going to hear of that right, are really, really right. good. And then, you know, Kendrick Lamar came out with like Good Kid Mad City. And then that really changed stuff. But when he dropped a pimp a butterfly, when I heard a rap or a hip hop artist be like, all right, here's my concept album mm-hmm. even though good kid mad city was to pimp butterfly is unmistakably that it is hard mm-hmm. to cut those songs up to pimp a butterfly is interesting too because there's a very high level of personalness to that album where he talks about like his own mental health journey and he also you know he talks about that and he talks about like what it's like to carry the burden of like your entire neighborhood uh when you come from like a community that he came from and being famous mm-hmm. because growing up with little to nothing being famous and having all that money uh changes that dynamic of where you grew up mm-hmm. and that's a big big part of that and there's people that he feels he let die back in his neighborhood because he wasn't there he was out touring the world Really, really heavy shit. Yeah, that's deep. That yeah. is not, you know, like, uh, you know, I don't know, trash. Drake. Yeah, Drake. Drake. <laughs> so that album is definitely gonna have to be on there. I think one I'm gonna probably throw in is gonna be Soundgarden's "Down on the Upside." Okay, why that one compared to like you've been talking constantly about like Bad Motorfinger and uh, right. Yeah, so why that one? So, uh, Down on the Upside was the last... Well, okay, so technically it wasn't. Uh, It was the last album they did before they broke up. Uh, Down on the Upside, though, I think is an album that is very, very uh, big. It has, like, 20-some songs on it. It's a very, very big album. Uh, they kind of talk about how that was the first album where everyone wrote songs. Okay. And I think you could really see that. And that's where I think like, to me, if you think about, if you look back on grunge and you think about the grunge, the, I have to have one grunge album. So if I had to pick one, it would be that one. Okay. Because when you look at everything, 
grunge was a musical genre that focused on being really, really heavy, still really, really melodic, but there was also a big level of experimentation. Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of songs on there that are very, very fucking weird. Very, very odd, but if you if you can sit and listen to it with a critical ear, it's going to kind of expand what rock music kind of can function as. Mm-hmm. And I think even Soundgarden in general was that way. Yeah, you said that one album that had like saxophones on it. Like it just like, who saw that? Yeah, ba- yeah ba- ba- Bad Motor Finger has like a fucking sax section mm-hmm. on a song. Um, but yeah, it just, it has... It, but well, the songs are epic. That's the other thing. Some of these songs, like I'm looking through, uh, yeah, they're like six, seven minute songs. Jeez, yeah. And they are epic <laughs> songs. They have like three or four parts to them. It's it's very it's complex songs for a band that a lot of people would look back because when you say grunge, they look back and think of like Nirvana or like Flannel and Seattle and Rain. But it's like, well, if you get into the weeds of it and you listen to an album like Down on the Upside, you're gonna hear what this was about. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of just like taking a snapshot of a musical genre that doesn't deserve to have a snapshot taken of. Uh, so that's four. <laughs> Do you have anything to add? Um, I will say, okay, probably the another one in my top five has got to be Brothers by Black Keys. Kind of the same thing with uh, like Weezer. The first uh, Black Keys album I heard was Brothers, and that really opened the door for basically blues rock as a genre i was like oh my gosh this is so like groundbreaking to me like they're doing some really cool kind of blues riffs and you know the songs aren't incredibly like complex like lyric wise or anything like that that kind of opened the door to more you know i I started getting into that and i was like oh what else is out there oh this is definitely you know uh black keys are heavily influenced by obviously like led zeppelin and like the white stripes so that is what opened the door to like blues rock for me which is today one of my favorite genres like so that was so influential to me because that was the first album i heard that was i i guess you would call it blues rock so there were just so many good songs on that um it opens with like everlasting light which is kind of like this cool southern gospel style song and uh and then like 10 cent pistol which was kind of like a radio hit but also like dude it's fucking good it's a banger another one of my top five i gotta say it joshua tree by u2 uh and that is that is the u2 album (laughs) it is the u2 album it has uh pretty much side a is their greatest hits album <laughs> so you definitely can't argue right. like that and right. so it's legendary legendary stuff so just even from the fucking first song it opens with like uh with or without you and it just like um it's just epic epic all the way through so it builds and builds and just so cool. It even has a, a couple like acoustic type songs on there that are like slower and ballady, like uh, Red Hill Mining Town. And uh, that one is just one of my favorites. It's so beautiful. Like it's not, you know, a anthem by any means, but the melody is just perfect. Um, so I think my last one, I think I have it. I know that I'm forgetting because there's like a whole acoustic side of this whole conversation that I haven't. <laughs> I know. I haven't. Right. I haven't been able to come. I mean, there's. 
It's rough. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get both. So I guess I'll make it six. Those two albums are is Portugal the Man's uh they said the Satanic Satanist. Such a good album. So the reason I'm gonna pick that Portugal the Man album, it's their most accessible album. It's it's not their best album, like by far. Um however, that album was the one that got me into Portugal. Mm-hmm. I listened to uh, at a very impressionable time in my life, and Portugal was one of those bands that I stumbled onto. I, it came out in 2009. I was probably listening to it in 2011. Um, it was a band. It, it, it opened me up to rock music, or just music in general, didn't have to do what you expected. So, like, Portugal the Man is can have these really heavy big giant songs but it has this guy singing in like his falsetto Mm -hmm. the entire fucking song and it it just really plays on that and their ability to be this rock kind of pop band with this heavy heavy influence of psychedelic music um works really well their lyrics are great like they have some of the greatest lyrics ever um just really like one of the most modern albums I can put out and be like, you know, this is, this is important. Like Mm -hmm. this album or that band at least, you know, Mm -hmm. is like, this is an important band that I don't know if enough people talk about. Um, Yeah. Right. The other album that is, that I want to include just because it had such a big impact on me is, and this one is the one out of left field is Van Morrison's Astral Dreams. Didn't think you were going to say that. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Why? I mean, I, I've heard some Van Morrison and I'm, I'm a big fan, uh, but I definitely, I, yeah, I wouldn't consider it my top five. Oh, man. That album just fucking bangs, man. So, Van Morrison in general is a really interesting and odd singer. Um, I don't, I actually don't know a lot about him. I don't really know if he wrote all those songs or not. Um, but yeah, he, uh, it's it, it just, he had such an odd style. Like it, it, he was like a soul singer, but he did it in this really way. Oh, sorry. It's called Astral Weeks. Okay. It's in my top five. Don't even know what dumbass. it's called. <laughs> yeah, you dumbass. Actually, it barely squeaked into the top six. All right. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> True. Uh, so it is called Astral Weeks. Uh, the reason I love that album is like, once again, I look at the track list and that's one thing I love is these, there's songs that are seven, nine minutes. Right, right. Uh, it's eight songs. It's a 47 minute album. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Very long songs. But there are these, I, I, what I assume happened, I don't know a lot about Van Morrison. What I assume happened was he was like, I want to write these songs that are very dreamy, very atmospheric, and I want to sing all these these Van Morrissey soul runs on them and just have this very big open... I mean, it's a great album li- to listen to if you like like producing and production because I don't know how many tracks are on that album. Like, probably... Like, I swear, like, the first song, Astral Weeks, pro- I swear to God, has, I mean, it's like a 68-track song. I don't know how they fit all that shit into two headphones. Right. <laughs> And that's what I love about it. So when I put that on, it's very dreamy and relaxing, and you know, and it, there's a lot of acoustic, a lot of it, it's just 
Hmm, okay. Every time I listen to it, I can't hear everything. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's why I keep going awesome. back to I that. I love that. Yeah, and keep keep listening to it, keep hearing it. So I think that's a big one for me. So hit us with the last two. You don't have to go in depth, but just Might hit as us. well. Might yeah. as well. All right, so I would say the other, so number four, again, in no particular order, um, I did include Ryan Adams Gold on mine um, just because from the acoustic songwriting perspective, he changed the game for me. That album was... it. Kind of like we, we you, you said earlier about kind of like Portugal the man like you don't it really kind of like made me hit home like you don't have to have an electric guitar to rock like you can break out an acoustic guitar and write a song that fucking slays lyrically melodically and just yeah all around I just perfect album really um, so then number five uh and this is gonna be a weird one um probably not for you but most people i feel like listening well probably have not heard of this artist but um again one of the uh, biggest influential bands to me growing up uh was a band called the rocket summer um and they had an album called do you feel that was in my i had uh, I have like really fond memories of this album because I discovered them when I was like 15, 16. And I remember when I got my first car, it was an 86 Oldsmobile. I bought that CD. I remember it was one of the first CDs I like was excited to go go to like go out and buy. I bought it at Walmart. <laughs> they had it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, popped it in the, uh, the CD player in my car and literally never took it out. To this day, that that CD is in the, the CD player of that car because I don't know if it was just in there so long, like it broke. Uh, yeah, it's well, stuck the CD didn't break. Like the the CD deck, it's literally stuck in the CD deck in that '86 Oldsmobile because uh, I just couldn't get it out. So because of that, I listened to that CD everywhere I went for about two years. So just really awesome memories and so you know how people say like yeah i've got this uh yeah i i I know every you know word to this song or i know every word to this album it's so good i know not only every word to the album i know every time he takes a breath i know where the pauses are i know where how he pronounces words it's it goes right. deep man <laughs> so yeah, no I, because I, I listened to that for the prime of my like youth and again kind of it was like one of those things where that was the soundtrack of my finding myself and finding music and falling in love with it so that's kind of why it no, will ever hold a special place in my part, heart, even though no one's ever heard of it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that. Uh, that's awesome. And I, you know, I've listened to a little bit of the Rocket Summer, and you know, I, I was actually just thinking today. I've realized like your musical taste tends to fall in line with usually like bigger, more uplifting, powerful music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and I that's think fair. the Rocket yeah. Summer is a perfect example of that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That tends to not be my cup of tea because I'm on the other side. I tend to like the darker, gloomier, more introspective, like you know, deep thought, yeah, depressing yeah. music. But I have no problem. It's just like U2, for example. I give U2 a hard time because they're U2. Because right. Bono, and also they put their album on everybody's iPhone without 
Get over it. It was free. All you had to do was delete it. <laughs> you people. <laughs> you you don't understand. So, you know, I give them a hard time as a band because they're one of the biggest bands ever, uh, and they act that way. Right. Um, that, that's but, but their music that. is not bad. It's not bad by any means. All right. Well, that was that was really cool. Uh, I, I I see what you said at the beginning. I don't know if people really want to listen to that. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was kind of uh, it, it. Might be one of our rougher episodes in that if you don't really care about me or Eli, you probably don't care what kind of music we like. So sorry, there wasn't a whole lot of like jokes made, but it was just something I've been wondering about my friend and. Hopefully, if anything, you got some music recommendations out of it. So. <laughs> Anyways, let's uh, let's uh, finish this out. Uh, Mitch, here lately, in the uh, universe of space and time, <coughs> what have you been cranking? <laughs> Just the juxtaposition between talking about universe and time and then just belches yep <laughs> the podcast is all about yep uh okay so i'm glad you asked i have been cranking uh there is a band i've discovered lately actually kind of coincidentally i just talked about the rocket summer for a while they have a new album coming out um coming out soon and he put out a single and then along with that there he put out a little like a interview he did with like alt Alt press magazine or whatever and they kind of like asked him like what uh the his influences were for this and he said one of his influences were for this album is he kind of like how i spent my time driving around listening to the rocket summer he spent basically a year driving around listening to this band called the cocktoo twins C-O-C-T-A-U, and it's pronounced Cocktoo. So basically, um, so after I read that article, I was like, all right, I got to go check those out. This is one of my favorite musicians. See what this is all about. And it blew my mind. So actually kind of what you were talking about, uh, Van Morrison, a little bit, how there's so much stuff going on that it's so it's almost kind of like complex to listen to where like you can listen to it like five times through and catch something new every time. Right. Like it's this, this big wall of sound, I call it, that's just almost kind of like shoegazy, uh, like dream pop, I guess you could call it. And the the singer like kind of sings in this like made up language, almost kind of like Sigaros, where it's not necessarily English, but it's also not like it's not really words. You're not supposed to focus too much on what she's saying. Just kind of like it, they're more vowel based, I guess, kind of like Sigaros. Um, so it's kind of cool. Hmm. Like it's not even. So, I mean, she's some of it is English, some of it is just nonsense. But uh, what I really like about it is kind of like it is, like I said, it's so complex. There's so much stuff going on that you have to pick apart what it is. And they have one song where the first time I heard, I heard it, I was super annoyed because it basically starts off with this uh, guitar riff that's basically just two notes that they do it. They continue those two notes for the entire song. And then they kind of build off on that and you do this other kind of like you know chord progression but then there's also like if you listen to it there's also like this weird you know uh like a church bell kind of sound but the church bell 
is in a different key than what the song actually is. It totally clashes, but for some reason, it sounds awesome. Like, it doesn't fit the song at all, but there's so much going on that's just like, okay, I see you. I see what you're doing. And it just doesn't make sense, but that's what I like about it. So check out the Cock Two Twins. I've been listening to their uh, album called uh, Heaven or Las Vegas. (laughs) So that's a really good album. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, I think the only thing I have to 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 add is, I think those bands that are like that, where they really play with like your expectation of how music's going to work, um, mm-hmm. I think those are really important because it really like expands, especially when you listen to it with like a critical ear and you're not like passively mm-hmm. listening to it. You're really trying to hear what all the instruments are doing. Um, you probably don't want to sing those songs on your deathbed <laughs> right but they always kind of hold a special place in your heart because those are the songs that make you think about music differently mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and, yeah, and that's you know exactly what make, i've been doing make you make you realize that like you know you know maybe maybe there's more than playing four chords on this song <laughs> maybe maybe there's mm-hmm. maybe maybe there's a little bit more uh yeah yeah absolutely yeah i've always appreciated that shit for sure uh, so that's interesting. That th- this is one of the first bands, which is <laughs> a little bit weird to say, but it's one of the first bands that you've said during the past eighteen episodes that I'm like, yeah, I really want to hear that. I really think that I could. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> wow, dude. <laughs> wow, asshole. <laughs> but what's funny is uh, I I do get on what the what you crank and playlist uh, yeah yeah small plug there uh, I get on that and <laughs> yeah. I will go back and <laughs> nice. listen to a lot of those bands uh, that you talk about because obviously I know what I talked about and I'll be sure. like damn this is good man I don't know if he really explained that band <laughs> like no that's exactly yeah you you told me that you really liked that Doctor Dog song. And I was like, yeah, that's yeah, what I'm yeah, telling yeah. you, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect example. I was like, damn, that's fucking good. Like, why? <laughs> yeah. I think he undersold yeah, right? that. Um, <laughs> I did undersell it a little bit. <laughs> um, mine are so fucking weird. This one's going to be a weird one. <laughs> All right, bring it. I, I, would, I would bet literally any amount of money in the world, vital parts of my anatomy, that you cannot in 100 years <laughs> guess what I'm about to say. I have no guesses. Yeah, I like almost want you to guess, but you can't. You can't guess. Is is it something I've heard of before? You know the artist. 100% you know who this is. Ray LaMontagne. I don't know why. I just thought of that. Hey, that's a good guess. It was from your (laughs) gut, and I appreciate that. Uh, It is not Ray LaMontagne. (laughs) I have been cranking an album. Not a band. Not a song. An album. From 1977. By Sticks. What? Sticks? <laughs> well, I have to keep giving you clues. No, not Sticks. Also okay. a good guess. No, I'm going to keep guessing. Shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> no, all right, no. By the one and the only Meatloaf. <laughs> and it is... Okay. 19- it's not Bad Out of Hell? Oh, wait. <laughs> no, it is Bad Out of Hell. It is 1977's okay, okay. Bad Out of Hell. Okay, all right, you're going to have to spell this out for me. Why? <laughs> is it why? So, <laughs> 1977's Bad Out of Hell is one of the 
greatest. I really, I wish I could go back and like kick one of those albums out. Maybe even Van Morrison. I'll put this in there because um, this <laughs> this fucking album, man, is incredible. It is. So it was Meatloaf's first album, first major label release, at least. I don't know that much about Meatloaf. Um, it is amazing. So. Bad Out of Hell has song. Everyone knows Meatloaf for you know I would do anything for love, okay. Right. Which coincidentally is on Bad Out of Hell too. Just mm. FYI, uh, it has you know uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. All wrapped up, no place to go. Paradise by Dashboard Lights. Yeah. So nope. Mitch is no <laughs> nothing. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> giving me nothing. I kind of weirdly grew up with this album. Um, my best friend kind of introduced me to it. I knew the songs, but I didn't hear them in context. So it is a concept album. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Second thing about it is that, so this song is all in this weird, like, metaphorical concept of, like, being a young, hormonal teenager. Uh, so, like, Bad Out of Hell, the title track, is about a one-night stand. Okay. So in the morning, okay. like a bat out of hell, I'll be gone. That makes sense. Okay. So it it just has these great fucking lines that I think when you were like a young adult, you kind of have experience in one way or another. Like um, you took the words right out of my mouth. That like the line is you took the words right out of my mouth. It must have been why you were kissing me. Okay, hmm. and then like all revved up and no place to go. Like uh, the chorus is like you know on a Saturday night I know what it's like for my hunger to grow. All revved up and no place to go. I don't know who had it felt that at sixteen. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Um, and then there's the song. So then there's also two out of three ain't bad, which is like you know. It's basically set up in this context of like, uh, you know, this girl like wants him, wants him to love her and, and, you know, be with her. And he, you know, he's like, I want you, I need you, but I'm never going to love you. But don't be sad because two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) It is the most, it is the most poetic fucking thing ever. Like that's pretty baller. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing, the thing I really like about the album musically is just that it is so operatic and that's kind of how meatloaf for old, but it was mm-hmm. just, you know, it, it's very operatic. It's powerful, but it fucking jams and it rocks. Uh, Paradise by the dashboard light is the song that you need to go listen to. If you have not heard this album, the reason being is that it's basically a song about these, these two kids hooking up like in like a lover's lane. And it's great because they're kind of, it's a duet, so like the female is talking about the female perspective, the male is talking about the male perspective, and so there comes a part where they're getting ready to hook up, and right when that happens, the song kind of shifts and it goes into these two guys announcing a baseball game. So it's like, all right, here we go. He's at bat, and uh, all right, grounder, and he's off to first. And like, you know, it's like, all right, he made it to first. He's rounding to second, and <laughs> ooh, a little bit touchy, ah. but he made it to right, right, right. So that's the whole <laughs> okay, metaphor. Okay. And it's like, you know, and and then it comes to a point where it's like, all right, he's heading home. Oh no, can he do it? Is he gonna get there? And the woman's like, you know, like stop right there. 
And then she starts with her part, which is basically like, you know, do you love me? Is is her whole part of the song. And then he goes, uh, uh, let me sleep on it. Baby, baby, <laughs> let me sleep on it. This, all right. This sounds so weird that I might like it. It, 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 is, it does this amazing job of yeah. just encapsulating like a summer being 16 18 and you're just you got so many hormones and you're mm-hmm. you're just you're just so horny and you're just <laughs> going out there and it it is an album that I think so I think the album talks about a woman's perspective in a really non-demeaning way so the woman all the times in these songs wants like a deeper connection um, but not in a needy, condescending way. She's very much mm-hmm. like, um, excuse me, uh, before you decide to penetrate me, uh, I'd like to know you're <laughs> going to be around, you know. And she's very, she's very strong uh, sure, sure. about it all. Uh, but both of them are incredibly young and incredibly horny, and they just want to get it on. And they kind of succumb at the end of the album. It's it's kind of like they kind of just succumb to. Uh, to just give an end to their temptation. Hmm. Okay. So it's it's re- it's a weird it's a weird concept, bro. <laughs> well, like uh, no, it sounds right up his alley. Because when what I know about Meatloaf, I never heard I, I never heard that album. I've never heard really of it. Is his any other music? The only two things I know about Meatloaf are Rocky Horror Picture Show, right. and Tenacious D. Right, which is <laughs> wonderful to know him from. Those are the right. two of the greatest things he's ever done. I think the third yeah. is is Bad Out of Hell. Okay, right on. <laughs> All right, well, that's that's what we've been cranking. Uh, yeah, this was a pretty music-heavy episode, but, you know, you, you, should, you should still listen to it. So if you, if you didn't want to listen to it and you're still here now, good. Go back and listen to all this shit. A lot of music yeah, to get through. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, thank you for putting up with us for another uh, going on an hour and a half. So God bless you. Yeah, so it was a long uh, one. Yeah, so. That's okay. We, we appreciate you. It was a good time. We had fun. Hope you guys did too. Uh, until next time. Baby, baby, let me sleep on it. Baby, baby, let me sleep on it. I'll give you an answer in the morning. And I'll love you till the end of time. <laughs> end of time. See? Good God, I would love you till the end of time. And now I'm praying for the end of time. Along with you. <laughs> yeah.